0: 言论自由.
1: Free speech.
0: Meinungsfreiheit. Our first principle reads: we require and create open, diverse media so we can make well-informed decisions and participate fully in political life. To what extent does this apply to China?
1: Well, in China, you know, media is uh, is quite uh, controlled by the party and the state, and uh, mainstream media, basically like newspapers and the television and the radios, and uh, you don't expect to hear very diversified voice. Actually, that's all the voice dominated by the the government, actually. But uh, in the traditional media section, there is also uh, some possibilities that journalists, they would push the boundary and they use, you know, different strategies and uh, tactics and uh, And uh, sometimes they make different voice other than government, but on the condition that they will pay a price afterwards. And except traditional media nowadays in China, you know, online, online media is growing very fast. And also there are some kinds of other forms of alternative journalism. You know, there are some underground publications, underground newspapers. And uh, uh, people just, uh, especially the pop, so-called public intellectuals and also some former journalists, they expelled journalists and they turned to underground publication. They tried to give out different voice. And online media like personal, like blogs. And right now, Weibo, Weibo is like Chinese version of microblog. is uh, is also a very important platform, people to express different opinions.
0: And how do people push those limits you were speaking about in journalism?
1: You mean traditional journalism? Yes. Well traditional journalism because there are often difference between uh journalists, work working journalists and their management. Like the editors and uh, you know directors of the newspaper, of the news group, or the media groups, etc. And so the journalists they use many different strategies. Just try to bypass the the government bans and then uh, restrictions, etc. Just give a very small example that when there is a ban, there is a very bad uh, you know accident happens, and then usually the journalists would know that the government will issue a ban, issued uh, a ban uh, from, uh, they won't allow journalists to report that accident. And, but under this condition, and the journalists, they would predict that ban, and then they would go faster. They would go faster than ban, That is it's called racing with the ban, they race the ban, and then they report, they go to the scene to do the interview, and then publish the article before the ban is issued. That's one of the standards they use. And also, government they said certain uh, limitations on the certain words. They say, for example, the government would say you cannot say Tiananmen Maska and then Germans they would they would wouldn't say Tiananmen Maska. They would use some very ambiguous, you know, words and uh, just to disguise their real intention. But the readers, they invite the readers to read from between the lines. So that's kind of language game. They also use, play this language game with the censors.
0: What about the, the other unconventional forms, the new forms of journalism?
1: The new forms of journalism. I think there are different uh, forms of uh, alternative, let's say alternative journalism. One of the form is underground publication. You know, they still publish in a traditional form. say publish like in a magazine, in a paper, things like that. And uh, so in terms of the underground publication, there has been a few uh, in the past few years uh, in the city where I'm from, in, in Guangzhou, mm-hmm. in the south city of Guangzhou. And uh, there were a, a few, but soon uh, they were shut down by the government because the government found, found that there were such publications. That's one form of alternative journalism. The other form is now the online journalism is growing very strong because uh, a lot of people they now use blogs. They have their personal blogs and uh, one of the significant groups of these bloggers are journalists. You can imagine in China, many journalists, they have their, their blogs, and on their blogs, it's, it's not the same as what you see the UK journalists have. The UK journalists, usually they have a blog on their newspaper's official website, as they, you know, they still play a role as that newspaper's journalist. But in China, they have their personal blog, they totally personal That is somehow related to their, to their uh, uh, news organizations, but, uh, but the, what they say in the personal blogs are really sometimes much more than what they can publish in the newspapers. So they use their personal blogs as a platform to to get more information and then to tell really to tell the truth, what they want the public to know. And so these are journalist blogs and also now there is a new phenomenon in China since I think since two thousand ten. That's wave phenomenon. Wave is a micro and uh, uh, yeah, well, after many scholars, they have uh, they have uh, discussed that uh, the wave becoming, uh, you know, Weibo has has shown great democratic potential in China because uh, there are nearly one uh, one billion. Is that one billion? I can't remember. That's uh, a lot of. I mean, at least the ten percent of Chinese are on, micro, my, uh, on Weibo now, and they uh, they break news on Weibo, and then they press the government for answer.
0: You know, they do a lot of things. And could you tell us how journalism, investigative activist journalism, has changed in the last couple of years? I imagine it has become more restricted.
1: Yes, investigative uh, you know, journalism in China started in starting well. Let's say started after Tiananmen. Of course, before Tiananmen, Moscow Tiananmen movement in 1989, there were investigative journalism. And then in my experience, because I entered journalism in 1990, 1999, and then since that time, um, I actually, I, I think I witnessed how investigative journalism grow in China in the past 10 years. The peak times, you know, the the peak time I witnessed, I think, was uh, in 2003. 2003, uh, there are two important things in China in 2003. First is the breakout of SARS, the disease.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, SARS breakout, and uh, then investigative journalism played a role in SARS because because SARS was uh, called a international attention, and then the Chinese government was really. Uh, fearful of the international community knowing that China is undergoing such a huge public health disease and a lot of people died because of, you know, partly because of the seriousness of the disease and uh, also because the government's really late. They was really late in you know, handling the crisis, so a lot of people they couldn't be cured in time and died. And so the journalism played a role in, in that. They tried to report the uh, the real death toll of the disease, and then they went to the hospitals and uh, they interviewed the doctors and uh, you know the outspoken doctors, and then to get. What was really going on? They played an important role in informing the public about this public crisis. Uh, the other, uh, the other incident in in 2003 was the Sun Jigang case. I think if you Google, and um, you will find a lot of discussions about this case. That was a uh, Sun Jigang Sun Jigang is a is a is a person. Uh, is a young college student who came to Guangzhou to find a job and. Uh, then the first day he was in Guangzhou and he was caught by the police because he didn't carry his ID card. And the police held him in a detention camp. And then a few days after that, he was found dead. Then the journalist, investigative journalist from my, the news organization I used to work for, the Southern Metropolitan Daily, um, they went to um, investigate the case and they. Tell people that actually the young college student was beaten to death by the police and so that was uh, reported of course the police was very angry and the government was very angry but uh, uh, but uh, that the reporting of that case really caught attention of the uh, of the national you know political Uh, and elites and intellectuals and lawyers and they all join in a campaign to call for the uh, abolition of the law because the law said that you have to carry an ID card so that if you uh, and also the law gets the police the right to help any people at their will so the law was abolished because of the reports and then and the pressure from the public. And then after that, it's down to 2006 and then 2005-2006, 2000, I think investigative journalism was uh, going down a little bit because the new government came to power, that is, Hu uh, Wen, the Hu Wen government, Hu is our president, Hu Jintao Wen is Wen then. What they propose is that they wanted to build a harmonious society in China, and then to build a harmonious society, and so that means they would not want to hear any bad things happening in the country. And so media could not, media are really, are largely restricted from reporting the so called negative news. And also the propaganda government issued a ban saying that media organizations, they cannot do cross-boundary uh, supervision. It's like if a media organizations like Guangzhou Media cannot report an event in a negative news in the neighbor province, that was not allowed. So this really paralyzed investigative journalism a lot. And in recent years, and then, I think investigative journalism in recent years didn't reach the same level as in 2003. That also... That is, there are two reasons, of course. First is because of the rise of online media, and then traditional. The power of traditional media is greatly weakened. That's the first, uh, the first reason. And also, the second, of course, is because of the uh, uh, the political environment. It's, uh, it's 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 not the same as in 2003. Um, the, the media organizations they are under the pressure, and they are less willing to to invest, to invest in a, you know, very risky investigative reporting, because, you know, they could lose their economic revenue, they could lose their advertisement, they could lose their political trust uh, from the party, and then, so I think investigative journalism is why weakening.
0: What do you think is the value? I mean, how is is that contributing to society in any way? Or how is it changing the country, the new forms of journalism and investigative journalism? Yes, I still think journalism is
1: playing a very important role in China, in the public life of uh, the Chinese people. Because, you know, in China, there's actually no serious society. There's very few middle-level organizations in between the government and the people. So journalism and the media played an important role. And the Chinese, they have a tradition of believing the journalists and believing what the journalists were doing. And so, because, you know, journalists were intellectuals in the past in China, and the intellectuals enjoyed a very good reputation in the Chinese in the Chinese tradition, and now journalists inherited that reputation. So people trusted what journalists say, what the media was say, although media are now very much controlled by the government, of course. And so in this regard, journalism played a very important role in China. The other thing is that if you ask whether investigative journalism has changed China a lot, or not, and well, I think of course it changed in a certain way. It changed the laws and it has exposed some corruptions and held some uh, local level, lower level of uh, government officials in the and, uh, and they also they helped to get, uh, help people to gain their justice and to one their trial, to the one they, uh, you know, when there was a dispute with the government, they helped the public were helped. In winning over the government, and uh, there are many cases. Like the Sun Jigang case is is one, and also in 2000, 2008 there was a there was a case called Deng Yu Jiao case. That was a a young woman. She killed. She accidentally two officials who tried to took advantage from her, and then the journalism the intervened in this event, and finally the young woman and she was exempted from death penalty so that's that's one case that the media really helped the weak people to fight over the powerful people and especially the government and also if you say online media how online media played an important uh, a role in China i think that's uh, that's huge online media just i just said weibo a weibo phenomenon in China now weibo somehow played a role as a public sphere, some scholars said that Weibo is a public sphere, but many others doubt whether or not it is a public sphere according to Habermas' definition. But anyway, Weibo is, is a sphere that the Chinese that is the only place that a lot of Chinese they can participate in the public discussions and they can express their views freely. Of course, Weibo somehow is also controlled, but relatively freely placed. In that way, its democratic function is very obvious. But in the end, still, my personal view is that democratization is a long process in China. And in the long run, it really depends on the government, whether the government wants democracy or not. The government is really if it does not want it, and it can use all the ways to control the media and control Weibo and uh, control all the online and cut off all the internet connections if it's possible. And so I think the uh, most important reformative power should be within the government and uh, within the party. That's my personal view anyway.
0: Um, Weibo has also contributed a great deal to news spreading very quickly online, and it has hindered the government from controlling the spread of information. For example, the case of the woman in Shanxi that had a seven-month-old fetus aborted a couple of weeks ago—that spread really quickly over over the internet, I think, and I think also Weibo, right? Yes. Yeah,
1: so that was, uh, I think, you know, democratic function of Weibo in terms of, you know, informing the public on um, wide and, and far is really obvious. But in in this case, I would like to say that if you look at the what happened after the uh, Weibo exposure of the event, you will be quite disappointed because in this case, and uh, there were, you know, the news not the public news, but what what has been spreading around is that the women has been, you know, the government has taken revenge on the women and her family.
0: Do you think that because of the way the media environment, also with online media like Weibo, has changed, do you think that can ever be as controlled as it used to be, say, 20 or 30 years ago? Or has that changed the media environment forever?
1: I think Weibo is a uh, temporary Phenomena. It's just for today, for a couple of years, because the new media forms, I think ago, a few years ago, there were, you know, BBS forum was very popular, and the people had very high expectation on BBS forum in changing China, on the internet, and then mobile phones, and then blogs, and now micro-blogs. Um, And so it will come and go. It's just, uh, and the thing is that you look Weibo is the corporation, the company who ran Weibo has a very, well, has a very special background. It's uh, well, it's totally under control by the government. Actually, Uh, I mean the company because the company they can choose to to shut down some of the voices. And they are actually doing it right now. And some dissidents, political dissidents, and they were uh, their ID, their personal ID in Weibo was blocked. A lot of them. And uh, there are many censorship on Weibo right now. i Just I heard you know, some, a few journalists were spreading uh, news about some sensitive topics, and then that journalists were discovered. Uh, you know the Weibo company. Uh, they hand over the information of that Weibo IDs to their news organizations, and then the propaganda government punished the journalism. They expelled the journalists right away, very soon. So, so they are taking action. If they want to, they can just take action. I think that's just Weibo is a temporary phenomena, uh, personal view.